The Chet Kalvik Podcast Network. He's a Chicago sports broadcasting legend. The other has spent a lifetime walking into Las Vegas casinos and taking your money. Check Copic. Harvard Hallis Barnhard. This is Vegas Uncensored. Delicious Coors Light is the name of the game. How are you doing, everybody? I'm Chet Copic along with bona fide Las Vegas legend. Harvard Hollis Barnard. You know what the show is all about, but just to give you the rundown once again. Hey, you point spread players, you guys who want to take down the man on Saturday and Sunday with college and National Football League weekends, you've come to the right place. You want to take down the players in your home game, playing poker, no limit, five-card stud, whatever the case may be, you've come to the right place. All right, we go uh, out to uh, Las Vegas where our good friend Mr. Harvard Hollis Barnhart is standing by. Prop time, my friend, number one. And number two, where are you going right now with uh, postseason baseball, which, frankly, bores me to tears? Well, I'm waiting. You know, everybody was waiting for that uh, New York Yankee uh, L.A. Dodgers series. Uh, you know, they had all the suits scrambling, uh, calling all their advertising and everything. So maybe they uh going to be putting on Philadelphia cheese steaks or something to play the Yankees. But uh, let me tell you, I was watching that game the other night uh, when uh, Braxton uh, – you know, threw up that uh, two-run double to uh, Jimmy Rollins. Guess where Manny Ramirez was when all that was happening in the bottom of the ninth inning with no outs? Uh, Mr. Barnhart, you've uh, tweaked my uh, curiosity. Where was uh, Mr. Manny Ramirez? He was taking a shower in the <laughs> locker room. They had already <laughs> substituted for him defensively in the top of the ninth. He was done for the night. So instead of watching his teammates, he went to take a shower. Now... Uh, they asked him about it uh, the night uh, last night, and he had some BS answer. And they talked to uh, Joe Torres, and uh, he said, "Well, you know, he knows how effective Broxton is, and uh, that he would probably, uh, you know, get the save done. And he wants to look nice when we come out to shake hands." So, I mean, what a spin this Tory gave him for going to take a shower during one of the biggest games of postseason history. You're down, you're up. Uh, what were they were down two to one. Uh, they got the lead. There's two outs to go, and he's in there taking a shower instead of seeing if they're going to go to two to two and uh, you know uh, make it to the World Series. And I'll tell you another one, Chet. When Minnesota was playing uh, Baltimore Sunday, and uh, Brett Favre had just uh, was doing his little comeback, they sent the field goal unit out there to kick the field goal. I think it was 31 to 30. It looked like he was sitting on the bench texting somebody. Now, I don't know what he was doing because the players in front of them, rightfully so, were standing up to see if the field goal was going to be good or not. Well, as soon as it was good, he stood up and he asked a teammate, did he make it? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. These guys don't even watch. I just couldn't believe it. And uh, speaking of football, Chet, I got a props to Dan Snyder from the Washington Redskins. I mean, my gosh, it seems like just three weeks ago that giant uh, Sherm uh, uh, Lewis, uh, what did he do? He was calling bingo numbers at Mills for Wheels in a senior's center, uh, and he was calling the, the bingo game numbers there. Wait, and, are, uh, are, you, are you serious about this? Sherm yes. Lewis, who's now calling the plays for Dan Snyder's listless Washington Redskins, this guy was doling out bingo numbers? 
just a week and a half ago, he was enjoying retirement in Michigan, calling bingo games at a senior citizen and delivering meals on wheels. Now, here's the problem. You know, it's tough to go from calling out bingo numbers to being the play caller. Now, what they've done with Zorn, he still gets... Now, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. He gets to decide on the major issues, such as who's going to start and who's going to play. So he gets to decide who plays the quarterback, but... And he retains control over any other big decisions, such as whether to go for it on fourth down or not. But he cannot veto any of Sherm Lewis's play calls. So let's say Sherm, in his mind, knows that that third and six might not go good. But Zorn wants to make him look a little bad because, you know, he might be embarrassed or something like that. He might say, well, let's go for it on fourth down. I mean, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know what Dan Schneider's got going or what their uh, GM has got going. But I don't think you can demote Jim Zorn, who was hired to do the offensive coordinator, and they couldn't find a coach, so they made him both, and then bring in uh, Sherm Lewis with his uh, B-24. Does he think that's a play or a bingo number? But uh, they've got some problems. They're already struggling with this offense. Now what are they going to do? So I'm going to be looking to really, uh, uh, you know, that that team might be totally screwed up. Hi, my friend. Uh, I want to bring this to the table because a buddy of mine wanted me to specifically ask you about the essence of pocket threes. Pocket threes. You're playing Texas Hold'em. The whole concept of pocket threes, you know it like the back of your hand. Explain what it really means for a guy who's on the green field. Well, I started this pocket threes concept because, uh, you know, page three in London is my favorite page of all time because that's where they have that cute little girl. Oh, yeah. So I thought, you know, to get people to remember it. And, uh, yeah, it's called the page three girl. But anyway, pocket threes also, uh, threes is another number for another uh, whole story out there. But pocket threes concept is this. If you are in early position, I want to show you, Chet, how you can have pocket threes in three different positions on the green felt in the jungle and you're playing that no limit hold them and you're going to do three different things with these two cards. If I'm in the small blind, big blind, under the gun, real early position with pocket threes, I am going to muck them. That means throw them in the garbage, sure. get rid of them. I don't even want to get caught with them. If I'm in middle position, I might just go ahead and call the big blind, and that's all I'm going to put in. And if there's any raises at all, then I will fold them. Whereas if I'm on the button, I might raise with them if there's been no raises. So I'll go ahead and put a raise in to get rid of some of those uh, ace rags and king rags and things like that and set up where my pocket pair might catch three of a kind, and then I could really uh, capture the moment. But here you got pocket threes from three different positions, and one dictates you fold, one says you call, the other one says you raise. So the whole concept about poker, no limit, the skill of poker, not the luck, as a lot of people think, it's the skill of poker is to be able to play position and know what you're doing. Hey, Harvard, um, jog your memory bank. Think about a time when you're at uh, the Bellagio or you're at uh, Red Rock and you're playing uh, fairly high-stakes poker and you got rags. You can't really play tight aggressive. I mean, you got rags. You got you got nothing and you stole a pot. I know you've done it. You've done it gosh only knows how many times. But give me the one, the one home run from the Harvard Hollis Barnhart uh, memory bank. Well, there's been some... Uh 
two, three offsuits that I've come through with that I played them exactly as if I had aces, where I just put it in my mind. I might have been in pretty late position. I set up the whole thing with a raise in late position, knowing that after the turn, I'm going to take it down. And that happens quite often in the with the group of guys that I play with. Uh, once in a while, you'll get a bad beat or something like that. But for the most part, you're playing the people. Now, if I'm in a game at the Bellagio and uh, there's some uh, you know people that don't play very well, those are the people that you can go after. I mean, you can uh, four-bet them, that, which means... Uh, I put a bet out, they or they put a bet out, and I raise, they re-raise, and then I uh, four-bet them and raise them off of it, and then I could show that 2-3 offsuit. And you could take down quite a bit of money. It usually puts them on tilt. Now, most of the books will talk to you about uh, the odds. They, uh, they start to talk about pot odds. Then they talk about implied odds. Well, in all my uh, texts that I write and things that I uh, preach, there's also something called tilt odds. There's certain people that when you show a bluff, it completely puts them on tilt odds, which means for the next half an hour, they are going to be so screwed up in their head because you bluffed them <laughs> off of a hand that they will not know what they're doing. They'll raise the next hand. They'll call with uh, a king-queen when they should have been mucking it. They'll call from out of position. They want to come after you personally, and uh, maybe for a half an hour, they will sit there and just give you the rest of their chips because they're on what we call tilt. So when a when a premier poker player walks into a major hotel in Las Vegas, spots a table with tourists, guys who are used to playing maybe uh, uh, home games with a $30 maximum bet, are they really playing the cards or are they just playing the man? Well, they're basically, uh, here's what I look at. When I go to the Bellagio, there's a lot of people like from Europe and things like that, and they're always very, very wealthy, or else they wouldn't be staying at the Bellagio. Well, they're not here to sit there and fold their hands for two hours straight because they got their wife to take out to dinner at 8 o'clock, then they got a show at 9 or 10 o'clock, so they got to sit there and play while they can. So they might sit down there at 5 o'clock and want to catch two hours of hands. Well, I could go from 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock and play two hands. They'll go from 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock and play uh, maybe 35 hands. Well, those are the ones you want to pick off. And it's not that they're, uh, you know, they're just there mainly for entertainment. They want to have some fun. And when they're in Europe, remember, they can't just drive across the street and sit down at a, uh, a home game or sit down at a uh, brick-and-mortar casino. So what they're usually doing is they're playing online. Well, there's a huge difference between playing online and coming to Vegas and playing live, where I could see the expression of your eyes. I could see if your, your mouth, the corners of your mouth are dropping or raising as the cards come out. I want to see if your fingers are... Uh, I want to see if they're shaking a little bit as you're cutting your chips and putting them in the pot, which means you might have a big hand. I want to see if the carotas on the side of your neck are uh, spinning out of control and pulsating, because that might show you have a big hand. I want to see if you're sitting forward, like in a very aggressive uh, nature, which to me shows that you're bluffing, or are you sitting back looking really, really relaxed. I want to see if you're talking or if you're quiet, and uh, that's a huge tell right there. But uh, there's all kinds of tells that we can pick up when we see you in person, that people that uh, are hiding in their uh, rooms of their houses uh, playing online poker, no one can see. So uh, it's a different game. It's like night and day, and it's uh, pretty easy just to, uh, you know, you go out there and pick up a couple thousand, uh, you know, per hour, uh, you know, at times at, at the right games. So, so it's I very mean, uh, profitable. That, that being said, you're like everybody else. Brunson's had them. Phil Ivey's had them. Jesus Jefferson's had them. Basically, you're going to have them 
almost every day of the week, you're going to have a bad beat somewhere along the way. What's the worst bad beat you've ever had to endure? Well, I would say, thinking back, uh, I was playing a woman, and there's nothing wrong with playing them, man. In fact, I tell you what, there's some tough women players out there. But uh, I flopped, or actually, in my whole cards, I had a king, king, pocket kings. And we made some, uh, she made a bet, and I came over the top and uh, raised with it, and she called. The flop came king, queen, queen which means I got three kings and a pair of queens, full house, full boat, right on the flop. She's holding an ace-10. So her ace-10 is out there with a king, queen, queen. Now, I don't know if she has an ace-10, but I know she doesn't have three kings and two queens beat. So she checks, and I bet all in. I just want to put a stop to the nonsense right there. She calls. There's no flush draws, no straight draws. I have no idea why she even called. Maybe uh, she misread her hand or something, or maybe she didn't put me on anything but a bluff. And, uh, you know, I don't know. But anyway, the turn card comes queen, and the river card comes queen, which means there's four queens on the board, and she brought her ace for the kicker against my king for the kicker. And she took it down. Four queens with an ace high kicker against four queens with my king high kicker. And that's probably one of the worst beats I've ever... In fact, it happened years and years ago, and I still feel uh, it hitting in my gut just thinking about it. I have no idea why she called. I had no idea. All I know is... Uh, she brought an ace to the party against my king. But that's probably the worst beat I've ever had. Oh, my man, right now you're making me bleed, but you're making me yearn for a delicious Coors Light. Harvard, Hollis, Barnhart, Chet Kopic, you better believe Coors Light is the name of the game. You know it goes down just as smooth, just as easy as any beer you can imagine. If you haven't tried Coors Light, the time has come to do yourself the favor because you will never... Put it in bold type. You will never beat the taste of Coors Light. All right, Mr. Barnhart, it is Heisman Trophy watch time. The envelope, please. I've got uh, Tebow, Jimmy Clausen. I've got Cole McCoy. i got Keenan, the uh, quarterback at Houston, who is playing in the soft conference. We'll get some attention, but will not wind up in uh, New York. I love uh, uh, Ingram, the running back at Alabama. Tony Pike right now, the uh, QB at Cincinnati, uh, banged up. Give me uh, give me your thoughts right now on where the Heisman is going as we begin to uh, gravitate toward uh, November. Well, first of all, I'm glad that you and I have not talked about the Heisman during August, September, and October because, you know what, all kinds of things can happen. And, uh, you know, this Heisman watch that I've heard people have every single week drives me nuts because, you know, there's a lot of injuries that you have to look at, and, uh, you know, there's just a lot of stuff coming up. Now, Tim Tebow... Chet, let me ask you this. Why, uh, you know, why is he the darling of, uh, the media? The, everybody in the media loves this guy. Harvard, he's quotable. He addresses the media. Florida makes him available. If, if Notre Dame would, uh, would just take the reins off of Jimmy Clausen right now, it would be Clausen's award to lose. And uh, let me mention this to you. You know, Clausen looked pretty damn good against USC in defeat. If Duval Kamara doesn't slip, Notre Dame wins that ball game. However, he did slip. However, if if Clawson puts up big numbers against Boston College, I think he moves into the driver's seat. 
Really well, do. you're you're right when he played USC, but here's the thing about that. You know, he had the test with USC and their famed all-pro defense uh, when they invaded his turf. And first of all, the Irish loses the game. That's not good. But when he had a shot for his miracle comeback, he threw three incomplete passes into the end zone, and the Irish rally uh, fell short. You can't have that label on the trophy from uh, New York down athletic club you've got to win games like that to get the legend to grow he was just a few big plays short but you know what he did have 260 yards he had two touchdowns and he had another one on the ground so you're right his stock did move up <clears throat> now tebow when he played last he had a 77 yard pass in the third quarter which made him the all-time sec leader in touchdown passes and that bodes well with a heisman event and it doesn't uh, hurt that he's got such a great image for college football. And uh, he did lead the uh, uh, against Arkansas. He led them on a perfect 69-yard drive, which led to the game-winning field goal and a 23-20 to victory. So on one hand, you got Tebow leading his team to a victory. On the other hand, Clawson throws three incomplete passes, and they lose. Yeah, but Harvard, yeah. Harvard now, Clawson, Clawson was a 10-point home dog. Yes, it does make and, a difference. And voters, voters logically have got to look at this and say, you know what, the kid was basically overmatched against arguably one of the two, three best defenses in America, and he still found a way to put 30 points on the board. Yeah, but you're not going to look at it that way. You're going to look at the fact that Florida's number one, and they're ranked number one, and they've got the number one quarterback, and Notre Dame is uh, slipped by uh, four out of their last five games. They won, and then they lost last week. I mean, he's a good quarterback good quarterback for college and it's good quarterback for the notre dame uh campaign but you're gonna have to have tebow probably get hurt and hit the sidelines for jimmy clausen to take it away i'm not sure that his effort against boston college will be enough now going on to the third guy colt mccoy he looked absolutely horrible against Oklahoma. He threw for 127 yards. He completed just barely over 50% of his passes, but he's got an injured thumb. I believe either today or tomorrow they're going to be taking his on his throwing uh, hand his, his uh, thumb nail off, and that should be bandaged for the Missouri game this weekend, but I don't see him being that effective throwing the pass. And one other thing, with even not having a injured thumb this uh, season, he has kept one uh, performance perfect, and that's throwing an interception in every single game that he's played this year. And he's pretty much number three on the list. Uh, number four, Case Keenum. A lot of people don't know about him. He's the quarterback for Houston, and he just keeps putting up huge, huge, huge numbers. But then again, competition isn't that uh, strict. Mark Ingram. You've got to have somebody from the number two team in the country. He's the big running back. He uh, ran for 246 yards and a touchdown. He's the nation's fourth leading rusher, ninth leading point scorer, and that's a pretty good resume for uh, Mr. Hey, Harvard. Harvard, I'll give you a scenario right now. you got Tebow, Clawson, McCoy, all quarterbacks. If Ingram continues to play well and puts up big, big numbers, like 250 yards against Auburn, Ingram could wind up winning the Heisman because you got three quarterbacks who will cancel each other out. 
They could. It also depends on that game when uh, Florida plays Alabama. If he dominates the uh, line and rushes for uh, 200 yards or something like that, which I don't see, but if he has a huge, huge, huge effort against Florida and Alabama wins that game, yes, that could vault him uh, right up into the uh, New York City. Another guy that I absolutely love, but uh, he got operated on yesterday, uh, Tony Pike, uh, the quarterback for Cincinnati, that guy is great. He's not just good. He's great. You'll hear a lot more from him. He usually only plays about less than three-quarters of the game. They're mm-hmm. usually so far ahead that he gets benched uh, you know, for the second half. But he had his uh, left arm injured. Now, a year ago, he had a plate put in his left arm, wrist area, and they just had to redo that again yesterday. He should be out for two weeks. And he can play with pain. It's not a soaring hand, but he did hurt it when he went to uh, break his fall last week in his uh, football game. But he is very good. But with Cincinnati uh, and that program, it's going to be very hard to win a Heisman uh, from the sidelines of a football field when you're uh, injured. So I believe he's probably moving out just because of the injury, not because of talent. All right, man, we're, uh, we're in the hurry-up offense right now. Uh, Oregon, Washington, Oregon State. The LA Coliseum. Give me the Barnhart rundown on two ball games that uh, clearly are, uh, shall we say, look ahead type games. Well, this is one that I believe everybody can sell their ex-wife's house and put on these two games. And here's what I call: we have a 85 percent chance of going two and zero on these two games. I believe it. Worked out to a, let's see, 85, 12, yes, 85 and 12 percent chance of splitting one and one and a three percent chance of going 0 and two. Now here's the deal. You know, Washington, they have the talent and the coach and the, and the uh, wherewithal to put almost any beat on anybody at any given time. Uh, just ask USC lately, uh, Notre Dame they gave a ball game to. They played really tight uh, in a lot of their games. They're playing at home, they're catching Oregon, and they're going to get seven, seven and a half points. The other game that I want to refer to is Oregon State, who last beat USC a year ago. They're catching 20 points, and they're also catching USC coming off the Notre Dame game. So we've got some games where it looks like it could be a trap and a little letdown, but we've got to take it one step further, Chet. We've got to say, well, who are these two teams playing next week? The talk of the whole West Coast and maybe all the way through, because this has BCS implications, is the following week, Oregon and USC hook up. I don't think that Oregon cares much about the Washington game as far as destroying them and showing any uh, trick plays or anything like that. They'll probably keep it, uh, you know, pretty much close to the vest, vanilla type football. And the same will be said for USC. They just want to get in, get out, not get injured, and then get start preparing for that Oregon contest. Huge, huge game for Oregon and USC the following week. So I believe that neither one of those teams will cover. So I would like to see our listeners take Washington plus the seven and take Oregon State plus the 20 points. Bet the same amount. So let's say you're just an average player and you bet two to 300. This is the type of game you might want to put a 1,000 on each side because even if you juice out, you only blow a 100 bucks. And you were willing to do that anyway before you heard this show. Brought to you by Coors Light. That a boy. Anyway, ah, Harvard, you're uh, good in the spirit now, my man. Well, I mean, I had one for breakfast almost, but uh, <laughs> anyway, you want to take Oregon. I mean, you want to take Washington plus the points and Oregon State plus the points, and uh, you know, put a dime on each one. So you have risking a hundred dollars 
to go 2-0 to win 2,000. And that's uh, probably the best tip I can give you. This situation does not come up very often. It's what we call a situational handicapped game. And we're handicapped it based on the situation of who they played last week, who they're playing next week, and what the line is for this week. And uh, Oregon laying points on the road is not very good. And uh, USC laying 20-21 points, not very good there. So let's go with the opposite sides on that. Oregon State and Washington. All right, points by players. You heard it from the master. There's only one. Harvard Hollis Barnhart. Keep it in mind. Lower the boom. Pound Washington with the number. Pound Oregon State. Look ahead ball games. Next week, we're really going to deal big time with look ahead games. Meanwhile, don't forget, you can catch Harvard and Copic 24-7 with our podcasts. We'll be back with a brand new uh, cast again next Wednesday. Meanwhile, hey, make it a point. Harvard. This is just rocked my good friend. Go out right now, and you know what? Have a delicious Coors Light for both of us. Absolutely, especially with that one in the blue can where they stay cold all day long. Players, you've been to the right place. Good luck this weekend. We'll talk to you next Wednesday. <laughs>